Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is Matt Pandola with the Pandola Project. I have my very special guest, returning guest, Mr. Billy Haug today. Man, uh, what what episode is this for me now? Like four or five? Yeah, you're the, I mean, you are most returned and requested guest. So congratulations, my man. Oh uh, well, I'm honored to be here, and I I feel like I'm honored to be here. So that's good. Let's uh, talk about what we're talking about today and why we're talking about fat adaption. Of course, I have been doing a fat adaption type of program myself over the last uh, few weeks. I'm really focused on using more of my energy towards longer distances. And so that's a big part of why I wanted to start the program. But I've also discussed some other variables like my blood pressure being transparent. That's always been a uh, major issue for me and health and always quite honestly has concerned me in the past. So it it was something that I really wanted to do mainly for health benefits, but also admittedly for performance as well. So for people who don't know, though, Billy, fat adaption, the general purpose or the general reason why we might want to do something like this or, or even adapt this type of a plan would be so that we can just eat fat and then have energy, right? That's the way it works? Sort of. It's nuanced, so they say. Uh, I guess just for the listener, this is going to be quite science-heavy in a few parts, and it's actually going to be split into two episodes over the next week, so there'll be plenty of time to kind of ruminate over things and establish a solid foundation and also but we're going to make it fun though so yeah you know those of you that just checked out on us don't uh don't turn the channel just yet don't change the channel just yet we are gonna we're gonna speak a little bit of science but we're gonna make sure it makes sense to you and that it's applicable and that you can really use this information i'm not too sciencey myself so i think sometimes the perfect combination is talking with somebody like billy who is a little bit more science-based and that makes me feel like I've got maybe a little bit stronger of a how for my why. I think that's why sometimes it is important to sit through some of the science at least. We'll make it digestible for you, but in small bites. Get it? Get it digestible? (laughs) Uh, You're punny, Matt. You're punny. But uh, anyway, the, the thing is here, it's not only important, but almost a necessity when we're talking about something like the metabolism uh, of the human body, which is behind brain chemistry, one of the most complex things. So we really have to establish some sort of basis before we head into the more practical things of like, why would you use this? Is this even something you should use? What's the evidence behind it as far as what kind of athlete you are? Or like you said, just someone who's more your GPP person exercising for the health benefits. Yeah, because I, I want to start off with just a basic idea and principle that I give Rob Wolf credit for reading his last book, Wired to Eat. I'm actually reading it again right now, and, and so it's giving me some some ideas uh, about also coaching and, and what my athletes are looking for in programs like this. But first and foremost, are you doing something for health are you doing it for fitness? Are you doing it for longevity? Or is it just aesthetics? Now, most of the time, I think if we're really being honest, most people are looking at weight loss first. Now, does that affect your health? It could, of course. And then in some cases, um, with some athletes that I work with, I guess I would 
also put myself in that category is that really it's not about weight loss first. Um, blood pressure should be the main reason why I would um, want to improve my health. Now, I'm not saying that fat adaption, quote unquote, is going to do that for me necessarily, but just that in my mind should be first and foremost is uh, with my blood pressure being traditionally higher or more uh, hypertensive than it should be, I want to focus on how I can naturally uh, regulate that. Is and, and so is your is your health first in your mind and if it's if it's something that you have a question on you're not sure if this is going to affect your health in a positive way or not that's where the science and the research can kind of help you make better decisions in the long run right billy yeah well and you said it it depends on where you are so for someone like you who's obviously maintain what we would say is a healthy weight their entire life, but also has this genetic predisposition of familial hypertension for you, getting your blood pressure under control, whether that's through um, your clinician's guidelines for certain medication or through lifestyle modifications, that's a priority for you. Yeah, for can some- I, I'm sorry, like this is where I really want to make sure that people understand selfishly, I'm going to let people know that even with the performances that I have felt good about in the past or with the aesthetics that I will maybe gravitate towards and even be proud of at times in my training. And that's, I think that's okay to say, Oh, in other words, I want to have my muscles look a little bit more full right now. I want the aesthetics. I want the, I want my abs to show, I want the definition, whatever it is. Right. But almost like guarding a secret, Right, because I'd I'd win a race or I'd get a compliment on my beach body and I feel miserable because my blood pressure is so high and that's like my hidden secret and that's what I mean about we can't judge a book by its cover but we also can't assume because somebody looks a certain way that that means that they're healthy or unhealthy. See what I'm getting at here? Like that's that's where I want people to sort of understand that we all deal with things on one level or another where we should be constantly trying to, uh, you know, find the better version of ourselves through our health and fitness and lifestyle. And so this is just another way or another tool that we can do that. But I myself have had several times in my life where I couldn't understand why I didn't feel better and I felt like I should feel better because – I felt like I was performing the part and even looking the part, but not feeling the part. Sure, and like anything, there's this, there's psychological and social factors involved as well, and there are multiple parameters to health that exist outside objective measures like HbA1c or blood pressure or your weight. There's things like, do you have meaningful relationships? Um, are you passionate about your career? Um, do you suffer from some sort of depression, you know, anxiety? So health is, again, a multifactorial entity, and you need to take that into account as well. So while, of course, there's things that are very important, you know, meeting those physical activity guidelines, maintaining an overall healthy dietary pattern, those aren't the only things you need to be concerned about. Yeah, no, that's really well said. And I think that when, Billy, when you're talking about fat adaption, and we've, we communicated on this yesterday, 
preparing for this podcast as well, you had a different term that you used that I, I'm going to let you talk about. It. It's your it, it's uh, it's kind of um, I don't know if it's your term, but I, I liked it and I want to use it myself. But it's it's similar to me. It reminded me of talking about self-myofascial release like that is a term that everybody knows. So as a therapist, I say SMR a lot to people, but it's really not releasing anything, right? So right. explain fat adaption and then how you or maybe the other, um, you know, the other scientists that you maybe uh, listen to and look up to and learn from talk about this. Sure. And again, uh, yeah, I definitely wouldn't coin this as my term. I'm really just exchanging words because from the get-go, the term fat adaptation is really quite vague and misleading um, if you understand how the metabolism works because usually when people talk about this fat adaptation or becoming metabolically flexible, they're doing so under the guise that innately or inherently you weren't already fat adapted or have the ability to burn fat or be metabolically flexible, meaning you can rely on all the macronutrients, the three we're most concerned with are fat, carbohydrates, and even protein in some extent. You can obviously mobilize amino acids through gluconeogenesis to create glucose. Again, getting a little sciencey here, but I'm not going to expound too much about it. We're going to have that newsletter. So for any of you who are more fascinated with those kind of nitty-gritty details, you're more than welcome to check that out. Yeah, just sign up for our newsletter on our website. So that's www.pendolatraining.com. On there, if you haven't signed up for our newsletter already, you can. And then if you are already signed up, don't worry, you will get the newsletter. It'll be a special edition newsletter on fat adaption. So if it's something that you're interested in and you want to kind of dot your I's and cross your T's a little bit more with these subjects, Billy's notes for the podcast, as well as some other details are going to be in that newsletter. So you don't have to memorize this stuff. And at the same time, if you just want to kind of stick with the basics, then just listen up. Yeah. So again, by, simply by virtue of being a human being with the mitochondria organelle in our cells, we are perfectly from the get-go, from coming out of the womb, adapted to burn fat. And that, and that's the thing. Me and you, we're just sitting here, we're chilling, relaxing, heartbeats low, you know, we're having a good time. We're not doing anything intense. So we're burning fat right now. Actually, we're burning a mixture of fuels. Our red blood cells can only use glucose because they lack uh, mitochondria, so they only operate through uh, anaerobic um, glycolysis but the thing is your body is going to espouse whatever fuel you decide to consume so in a fat ad adaptation protocol what you see most people trying to prescribe or what you see in the studies is a high a, a low carb higher fat diet so in the 50 to 60 percent fat range and then of course it's a zero-sum game so keeping protein the same you're going to have to lower carbohydrates as well and in that scenario, your body is going to burn, it's going to oxidize fat, what you're putting inside. Now, that shouldn't be confused with fat loss. The loss of adipose tissue is dependent on whether you're in an energy deficit. Um, you can burn fat, oxidize fat as fuel all day long, but not lose weight if you're not in a deficit. Again, going off a tangent here, but the only way you wouldn't be already fat adapted as a human being was if you somehow lacked the metabolic machinery or the enzymes necessary to m mobilize fatty acids across the mitochondrial membrane and then put them through the Krebs cycle so they ultim ultimately generate ATP. Now that can actually happen, but it's rare. So there's things um, like 
carnitine cycle defects or medium chain acyl-CoA dehydrogenase uh, deficiency, also known as MCAD. That latter one is, is rare. It happens in 1 in 15,000 live births. Again, all this will be referenceable in the newsletter. But in that scenario, if it's not screened for, the mortality rate in babies is 20 to 25%. So this is what we call an inborn error of metabolism. So they are not adapted. There's some genetic mutation or error that happens where they can no longer utilize fat. And it happens with all macronutrients. It can happen with carbohydrates too, with McArdle's disease. That's where you can't store glycogen. But unless you're in that kind of scenario, you're perfectly adapted to burn fat. And despite what these IG influencers or someone trying to sell you something says, like, oh, the reason you aren't losing weight or the reason you can't obtain your goals or that you feel sick or that your blood markers are off is because you're not fat adapted or you're not metabolically flexible. You can't really defend that from a linguistic point of view. That's why I like to say not fat adapted, but if you use some sort of nutritional periodization where you are forced coerced to burn fat you're fat reliant i guess you could say then yes your body is it's smart it's going to choose to burn whatever you put inside it now if i told you matt um something like we don't have the machinery to break down to use energy so insoluble fiber for instance something like cellulose which is the main fiber in cotton if i told you hey i'm going to become cellulose adapted that would be something to remark at because like it defies the the laws of of biophysiology as we know it i can't just eat cotton t-shirts or cotton swabs and somehow meet my energy needs because i lack the machinery to do so it's the same people who are like oh all you need to do is lay out in the sun and photosynthesize for energy it's just it doesn't work like that for from for mammals so yeah no it's a good point because we have to be careful about what gets sort of marketed and, and sold to us. And if it can put, be put into an easy concept, it often, often is, but it doesn't mean that it actually transfers. And I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm more of the uh, layman here when it comes to the understanding of all of that mumbo jumbo you just said, but that is kind of what we're getting at, right? And let me just ask you this, though, and I, I want uh, people to understand why we would even decide that having a higher fat or fat adapted program would be uh, would be a good decision for us in the first place or possibly why it, it wouldn't be. So I know you discussed some kind of rare cases. And then I also know that I've had in the past, I, I've had some clients for uh, one reason, medical reason or another, sometimes dealing with cancer and, and uh, coming back from chemotherapy and things like that, they're just not going to absorb fat very well. And so there's some issues with that. So they may always work a little bit better off of a higher carbohydrate and lower fat program. And that's why I'm never telling people absolutes or, or advising absolutes, I should say. And, uh, but for me, my why on this fat adaption program or utilizing fat better in that sense of blood pressure or hypertension versus performance, which we'll talk a little bit more about in further detail on uh, the next episode, I would say that that was a pretty strong why for me, though, to get started. And so I'd like to ask you a couple simple questions, Billy. If you had somebody who was, um, let's say, uh, 30% or higher in body fat, 
we could agree that they probably could lose some body fat. Yes? Sure. Should a person like that get onto a higher fat program because they already have so much body fat? Now, I know I'm leading you into this, but, yeah. <laughs> but why? <laughs> okay, but, but I do. I think that it's important to, uh, to keep it simple um, because I'm sure it's on some people's minds. Like, I already have enough fat. Why would I take in more fat? So I think we should just start with that, that, that simple concept. And should, should people who need to actually lose weight be afraid of taking in fat in the first place? So uh, like you, you already set up the context we're discussing. So this is someone who their main goal for likely for health reasons too, they could have some sort of metabolic disease related to excess adiposity. Um, so type 2 diabetes also is in the realm, but they, from a clinical standpoint, should likely lose weight. So that's their number one goal. Now, if you look at this hierarchy of this pyramid that we like to look at um, when it comes to nutrition, the base of the pyramid, the number one thing people need to focus on is a, a diet that they're able to adhere to, that they enjoy, that allows them to reach their goal. So goal here being weight loss. So what do we need for that? We need a caloric deficit. So if the diet that that person is able to comply with on a day-to-day -day basis that gets them to that deficit they need to lose the weight. If that's predominantly a high-fat diet, that's totally fine. Now, we know now that the actual ratio of the macronutrients is less important than the type of the macronutrient. So in the case of fat, you can certainly have something in the 50 to 60% range if most of those fats are coming from monounsaturated, polyunsaturated sources, and even some saturated here and there, but from the guidelines we know right now is keeping the saturated fat under 10% of total calories is likely a good thing to do since we have millions of personal, you know, uh, life years follow up from these studies and thousands of studies showing that uh, increased LDL cholesterol lipoprotein levels are put the person at risk for possibly developing heart disease so that would be the only thing so again the type of fat is more important than the actual amount of fat so bringing this around if the person adheres to a high fat diet and they're able to keep that weight off that's awesome that's what you want to see if that diet happens to be higher in carbohydrates then that's fine too so again we have to meet that base of the pyramid which is dietary adherence and then above that you have your macronutrients and total energy. And then above that, you have quality of the food you're taking in and then diversity within those food groups. The pyramid just keeps going up. And then when you get to the top, that's where things like nutritional periodization or fat loading, you know, trying to target your carbohydrates around your exercise sessions. That's something a high performance athlete might be concerned with. But again, that's follows assuming that you have the base of your pyramid built yeah i'll tell you where i think it gets a bad rap billy in in particular when it comes to calories you have a surplus in higher fat uh programs oftentimes because you're just grabbing the almonds you're grabbing sure. the higher uh density fat foods that uh they certainly are easy to overeat aren't they yeah when well, we've discussed this before most people regardless of the composition of their diet, tend to over-report their exercise levels and under-report what they eat. So unless you're being, as you've advised clients to do, to track and, and find your baseline, at least for a little bit, 
that's a very important thing to do so you don't make some of those mistakes. So I'm going to give people just a couple examples here I think would, would help. I've talked to people that have coconut oil and butter in their coffee in the morning, right? And that's the um, bulletproof right. kind of, okay. And so, and if you do that, by the way, and you like it and you think it works for you, I'm not trashing it. I'm just Assuming asking, that it doesn't skyrocket your LDL levels, you know? Right, exactly. Let's, let's, just, let's just assume that, um, that it's something that is healthy for you and uh, we'll take it from there. But I would say that most of the time when I ask people why they're doing it, it's just because uh, it was kind of popular and it went it went around the, the uh, sort of the circle of friends and everybody was doing it. And then I tried it and you got to have to ask yourself, well, is it working for you? But why are you doing it in the first place? And the reason why I say that is because uh, I do have coconut oil in the morning in my coffee right now. And that's also because I have uh, chosen to go through a little bit more of a type of uh, program where I'm not going to have anything but coffee for the first few hours when I wake up. Now that's a choice, but the the uh, the fat in the coconut oil does help with satiety, and I enjoy the way I feel when I go out for my run, which is usually soon after that or within a few hours of waking up. So if I'm up around four four thirty. And then I'm running somewhere around seven or eight. I just, I feel good off of that. I don't want to have too much food in my stomach oftentimes. And I like that feeling. So that's just, again, that's part of a choice that I made. But during the day, I may have, let's say, some almonds. I Right now I'm into my wasabi almonds. I like that. And I like my Zevia, which we'll, we should talk a little bit about uh, that conversation, even though that's not exactly along the, the lines of, uh, of fat, but, but even just talking about when you make certain choices, so you feel less guilty, right? We talked about how that makes us feel too. And when I take those almonds in, it is generally because I'm actually trying to meet a certain, um, calorie goal. Now I don't count my calories. I admit that, but I have a rough idea and what I've done in the past is just look at a set point for myself. What tends to work for me, and I'm going to stress this, what tends to work for me, this is no different than when we have heart rate numbers that we look at. Okay, when we talked about in our last uh, couple episodes about looking at your heart rate zones. This is it's just a general number that may be pretty close to your number or might be way off, okay? But that being said... If I take in about 15 to 16 times my body weight in calories, okay, then I have a generally, I have a pretty good set point of calories. And when I have counted those calories out, it seems that that's about the point where I'm getting in enough calories where I'm maintaining or main gaining, right, <laughs> even. But uh, I'm, not, I'm not in a huge surplus and I'm not in a huge deficit. And I got used to the way that felt. So what I mean by that, though, is that when I start to feel even a little bit hungry, I know I'm probably slipping below my set point that I want to be. And my gut tells me that I've been doing this a long time. If I have some if I have some almonds, yes, it's going to give me a little bit more fat, too. So that serves my purposes right now. And I have a handful, and I think that that really serves me and my current goals. 
But all too often, I think people are just keep having more and more handfuls of those almonds and possibly getting too much of a surplus. Then they think that the fat, uh, the extra fat was bad or and it could be extra carbs were bad or extra proteins were bad. It doesn't really matter. In other words, extra calories can work against you. So I think it's that's the, the point. excess that is the issue here. Not necessarily, oh, it's because of this particular macronutrient. And once you start to demonize those things, which every macronutrient has been demonized at some point over, you know, the past five decades or once nutrition started to become a more uh, field in the limelight, I guess. So, yeah. And, and when my main goal, Billy was more along the lines of just, uh, the g- the gym gives me some good goals sometimes too, right? Most of the time, it's it's out on the trails and, and my running goals that take precedent. So as I always say, the the I do what I do in the gym is so that uh, I can do what I want to do outside of the gym. And uh, but that being said, I do I I do enjoy training. The longer that I've strength trained, the more I enjoy it, and the more uh, variety and and the more creative I've had to get as a coach myself. It, I actually start to look forward to testing out maybe some of my programs like we just did earlier today. We just had a great uh, training session that we did at our gym, our facility here, and testing out some of the program that I've been working on that we're releasing here in a couple weeks for the public. But that being said, those periods of time when the gym is actually my priority for and that's fine i think for especially like the month of december and january most of january about six weeks there anyway the gym was my main priority which means i got up in the morning i had my black coffee i actually didn't put coconut oil in my coffee why because i was eating right away too i was eating early and often and why well mainly because i wasn't going to go out and run and i'm not going to cramp up if i have a a small i don't eat a large breakfast but i have a a little bit of a um a meal there that's i would think would be a few hundred calories or so maybe at the most maybe 500 calories if i'm a little bit hungrier and uh, oftentimes i was taking in some oatmeal and those those kind of things that i don't normally have in the mornings but i didn't want or even need the uh, the extra fat in my coffee in part because I'm eating right away and I don't need to uh, hold off my um, my satiety right so I'm going to go and lift and also when I lift and I'm lifting heavy when my goal in that six-week period was more strength I feel better and I can just say personally there's always there's always a for me a better training session that day when I have some carbs in my system and I feel just more powerful, I feel stronger. Well, what did you just describe? And we're going to talk about this a lot more in the second part once we look at the studies done in athletes. But basically the the big takeaway we're going to eventually lead to is you have to fuel for the work required. So if you're trying to do something like weight training, which is by definition anaerobic, or you're doing 400 meter repeats, that's incredibly dependent on glycogen breakdown and utilizing carbohydrates for energy very high intensities you have to fuel for that work if you want to perform to your absolute best and there was even a study by Pauli et al in 2011 we'll put that in the newsletter that stated that fasted training doesn't have any fat oxidative advantage over fed training within the 24-hour time frame so again if there's really no difference between these things uh presuming we're doing a low enough intensity where 
you're you're not trying to push your your VO2 max or get into this higher heart range. It really has to do with personal preference. Yeah, so it seems to me like we're talking about do what works for you again. Seems like like it, this this theme keeps coming back, right? But armed with good information, that's exactly how I can decide on eating early and often versus maybe holding off on my first meal. And again, it can be something as simple as I like to run on an empty stomach first. I feel better that way. Sure. And I don't like to run with oatmeal in my stomach. And that can be as simple as that. And then that is my reasoning. And it works for me. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be able to explain to you nope. why that works for me. And I think that's where I, if anything, in this initial podcast, we were doing this intro, we wanted to explain a little bit more of the steps and the science behind things so you could make a decision for you on whether or why it would work. And then if you're going to uh, listen to the next part of the podcast, which hopefully you do, about how maybe fat. Um, adapted programs, or I got to stop saying it that way, but uh, how how those programs can maybe help performance and, and when they would help performance and why. But it's certainly not something that I would necessarily do when I'm trying to run my fastest mile time. So there's a difference there. Although there may be times when I would try to do that in my on my easy run so we can talk about that more as we uh as we delve into the performance side of things but let me just ask you billy another i think common thing that people want to know about if you have somebody who's overweight versus somebody who's maybe at optimal weight okay who has the faster metabolism and why uh well what do you mean by faster so who's burning the more who burns yeah who burns more calories sitting there well assuming the person since they're overweight we have uh people of the same height but one is they're twins we're gonna call it <laughs> okay. they're Fair twins enough. no yep. i like it equating as many variables as possible right so i'll just i'll just use bmi since it's, it's easier to deal with so and, and also we have these objective categories so so one is what we'd call class one obesity so they're 30 bmi or both and the other one is somewhere in the normal range let's just say 24 uh twins so same height so what's the only thing that's different is their weight so technically the person with more mass has the higher metabolism okay so that's and of course again i know i'm leading you into this but billy i think you you may not be surprised but a lot of people that i talk to I would say most people I talk to think I have a faster metabolism because of my BMI. And in reality, it's maybe my NEAT that's a little bit more efficient, right? Yeah, well, I think we've discussed this before. I I believe it was the keto episode. It was one of those uh, around that time frame. But we discussed... Let's discuss NEAT in case they didn't hear that episode. You guys should listen to that episode, but... I'll cover it again real quickly, but... We have different things uh, that make up uh, our our metabolism. The most significant one being RMR, resting mo- metabolic rate, or BMR, basal meta- metabolic rate. As as this podcast pertains, you can basically treat them the same. There's some differences that mostly have to do with how they're measured in the lab, but for purposes here, we'll just call them the same. That's going to make up sixty to seventy percent of your of your daily energy expenditure and that's almost entirely dependent on your how much mass you're carrying right and then things that are similar with all in all humans like how much 
how much energy your organs just need to function daily. Uh, the rest of that comes, there, there's, there's three other components. So NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So that's the kind of stuff that's non-voluntary. Well, it's voluntary movement, but it's not planned out or programmed You don't exercise. think about it. Yeah, yeah. You got so just like talking to you and waving my hands around. It's fidgeting, just, you know. the movement you do, folding laundry, like walking around. Uh, I think the example I used is like someone with a very high knee would be like working three jobs that are all incredibly active. They're a trainer, they're uh, a waiter, and they teach preschool kids, so they're running around all the time. That's someone with a really high knee. Or they're, you just, you know, I think also – uh, my mother was very, very active all the time, sure. and it was just a habit I think I learned early. So before I ever had a job, just to be clear about, before I ever had a job, I think I had that kind of habit because people used to make fun of me that like I never sat down, and that was when I was a kid. And if I was talking on the phone back then, we didn't have cell phones, so I'm dating mm -hmm. myself, and you would, and I'd wrap myself up in the phone because I'm I'm walking around the kitchen so much, and I uh, get the phone, you know, caught on something, the cord, right? And and, and that's because I I could never just sit. Uh, in the chair and talk on the phone and I'd get yelled at but that's kind of that's who I was that's how um, my habits were ingrained that way so I, I think that's also just well, one a lot of people have the misconception as they age that the reason they're gaining weight is because their metabolism is somehow broken now or it's slowing thank and, you right yeah that does actually happen to a non-trivial degree it's nowhere near the just the the less amount of activity that person is doing in general whether that's exercise or just like we said neat just moving around overall they're just moving less and neat can be a substantial amount and and perhaps even more than than exercise in most cases so again just a hypothetical scenario let's say your bmr 65 percent your neat could be up to 15 percent. so then you're at 80 and then the, la the last 20, 10% can come from exercise. And then there's the thermic effect of food. So how much energy your body is actually using to process the food you take in. And this differs based on the macronutrient. So protein actually has the highest TEF. Yeah, no, and this is an important subject. Uh, for example, when I have an athlete getting ready for championship racing, and I want them to just sort of chill out. And I want them to relax and they have such a hard time just shutting down that neat, right? And mm -hmm. that's kind of the most challenging part. And in part, I think the reason why documenting helps, and if I give them things to read or YouTube to watch, it gets them to just sit there more, which can really actually help, at least in say, say, sort of super storing that energy we're looking to do. Uh, because I know I've taken in way too many calories at times while I was – told to again this is old school but when i was running over 100 miles a week it was at least 5,000 calories a day i was supposed to be eating and it was kind of like regardless like just and at a certain point if you're eating a few thousand calories or less you can probably keep it pretty clean but you try to get over that mark without having any of those calories be fillers i mean good luck or it's really hard to do mm -hmm. so i was the the irony there is I was getting in 5,000 calories or more a day, but I think that just without even thinking about it, I was also just moving around that much more. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's a very real consequence that we've observed in, in numerous studies, and it's just something that, that happens to most people. Um, and in the reverse as well, I know coming from your background, having trained fighters, having to do aggressive weight cuts yourself uh, or anyone, uh, any physique athlete, you know, in the last few weeks of their cut before their show – you substantially not only does your training session suffer as far as like the energy you can 
you can dedicate to them and the and the vigor you have during those but just in general your neat substantially down regulates because you're in just such a, a large deficit that you just don't move around as much it's your body's way of trying to um, be efficient and yeah, and, that, and when I have worked, I, not so much myself, but maybe a little bit again in the in the modeling days, I experienced that effect where you're supposed to now is get shredded, right? You're supposed to lean up, and that was my least favorite part of everything. I kind of I like the training where I'd go in and, and lift and uh, do my curls for the girls and everything, and that was fun. <laughs> and uh, and but then when I had to go through my cutting phase, right and um, I, you know, I was told by my agent at the time, she said, you know, you're so lean already and stuff. It, this is fine for you. You don't have to worry. Right. And ironically, I would usually start to gain some belly fat back then, but I didn't know why I'm like, why am I gaining belly fat? I'm eating next to nothing. Right. And how can that be? How can that be happening? But I also realized that at times, and this is a part of that. I don't, I really I advise people to go to other coaches if their if their goal is is mainly aesthetic or if they're going to do a show a bodybuilding show or something because obviously that's not my forte but and I respect it but I also don't think it's very healthy. So for me, I I also know that I felt terrible and I just stopped moving around as much. That's one of the few times in my life where I think I can say I didn't do much at all. I was moving around more and when I um, tell the truth in this story is that I think because I started getting depressed, I was sneaking the Oreos in and I was eating things that I shouldn't have been eating just to have like that fit 15 minutes of feel good. And, um, and then somehow I actually had been, uh, still losing a little bit, uh, too much muscle potentially in that cutting phase, which I think made me feel fat well, in a way. Again, um, just clarify, I mean, you would have violated thermodynamics if you actually gained fat. The, the thing that happened was you were still losing weight. However, you were probably losing a lot more muscle. Yes. And that affected your physique, obviously. That's right. And why that happens, and uh, again, you'll, you'll see physique athletes who, who've been coached correctly trying to do this. The most important things you can do in a hard cut to minimize the amount of muscle you lose and maximize the amount of adipose tissue you're losing is to keep sending that muscle building signal. So still resistance training to a high intensity. So your body is getting a signal sent. Like we have to try to maintain the muscle as best we can. That's on our frame. And also there's even been some research that, uh, higher protein diets. So again, this is an example of not again, I just, just throwing out the term adaptation, but nutritional periodization for certain times of the year, depending on your goal, this is where a bodybuilder would start to take in a lot more protein again not because protein's magical or anything but in this scenario it would behoove them to do so so again they don't lose as much muscle mass as they would adipose tissue and levels up to like 3.1 grams per kilogram per day which is like to give you reference 2.2 grams per kilogram is a pound per day in in freedom units so you can imagine it's quite high probably like 200 grams for a 150 pound person so the way I think of that, though, is I was eating less and really it was too much of a deficit. It wasn't, again, if, if somebody does need to uh, lose a little bit of weight, it's a, it's, it should be a slow decline. And, Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. and I can't stress that enough. And it's really the same if somebody wants to gain weight. So, yep. But 
I think that what happened with me there and uh, with the belly fat that I mentioned before is it was my interpretation. Right. And it's the way I saw myself. So that's a little bit of the, uh, you know, that's another problem, at least personally. I think when you're training mainly for aesthetics, you become obsessed with the mirror. And granted, at that point, it's it did matter whether I was going to get hired or not. Men's health was interesting. What did that do to your psychological health? Not right. only did you have this thing messing with your mind, but you had an additional life stressor making everything else uh, going on that much more harder to deal with. You know, again, this is just reiterating that health is composed of these things. And there's different times in your life. Maybe, you know, someone just broke up with you. uh, You just failed a test, just got fired. All these additional life stressors that are causing, you know, they're not good stress. They're more distress can affect the ultimate uh, overall well-being of the person. Yeah, and I think that my distress there also might have caused me to hold on to some fluids. And I think that that's in, in, in part where um, not only was I maybe getting in, sneaking in some Oreos when, again, I was uh, back then I did weigh and measure and, and made sure I was getting in X amount of calories. So if I had my Oreos, I still didn't go over my total calories uh, in my deficit, which back then, again, looking at it, I'm like, man, that was given to me by my agent that another model used and I was using the same as him and I didn't even weigh the same as him so it was ridiculous yeah, yeah. but you know again I I didn't that was 25 to 30 years ago so anyways when I when I think I started to retain a little extra fluid as well and and uh, I got more stressed and then I was worried about how I was going to look on on the day and uh, you know and, and there's a lot of pressure in situations like that but, but circling it back to everyday life I think it still relates. I mean, people are dealing with a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. And that's why as a coach now, I really want, I don't care what your goal is, whether it's, uh, I mean, of, of course we care what your goal is, but we want to be able to help you get to that goal as long as it's healthy. If there's no real health benefits in the goal, that's the only time maybe I will try to steer somebody a different way, right? I'll try to uh, help them with that decision because I want them to be able to live a long, healthy, happy life. If it's a short-term goal like getting ready for a wedding or something, I can I can buy in a little bit more. I don't love it, but, we, but we'll go there for a while, right? But mainly, obviously, as a performance goal, uh, performance coach that's not my job and when I was just working with some of my athletes that were under a lot of stress I would see of course stress eating comes in and the calories that they were taking in was not so much of the problem to me as how they felt about themselves eating those calories right and I think that's the point that maybe we should kind of I'll let you finish with this podcast, uh, Billy, about any other points that you really think people might want to know about uh, fat adaption and this whole this this whole introduction to the program before we get into our performance based um, program on the next episode. So, um, what would you like to finish with there, Billy? Uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, we gave her a little primer on how how just as a human being how your kind of metabolic machinery works and how you're already adapted to burn fat so that term is 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 mostly a misnomer and i think we we covered our bases there and we kind of went off tangent obviously on some topics that i think we needed to address but yeah bringing this back around to the whole fat adaptation fat adaptation or fat loading for the endurance athlete in the next episode we're going to dive into some actual studies mostly around athletes 
uh, of showing the results of these kind of protocols and nutritional periodizations and if they actually work and uh, for, for what sports and, and stuff like that. But I guess um, something to leave the listener with um, so they can, you know, get excited about the next episode or, or just have a better understanding. But basically the whole hypothesis behind this fat loading is that since fat yields more ATP per molecule than carbohydrate does, uh, you know, we should be trying to use those fuels. And while that's true, it also requires a greater amount of oxygen to do so. So carbs is actually less costly as, as far as using like this, a, a fuel. So per oxygen basis, carbs are actually uh, the better choice there. And now at a lower intensities, this increased oxygen cost from fat utilization really isn't a problem. And again, you have definitely more stores of fat on your body than you do carbohydrates. I think you have at most 400 grams uh, between the muscle and liver stores. But the problem is when exercise intensity increase, the body can't compensate for this additional oxygen use. So that's where you start to see these kind of protocols perform less stellar results when compared to a more carbohydrate-centric diet. And what we'll get into in the next episode for sure is... um, most people try to rationalize that, well, I'm doing an alternate endurance event, or I'm doing something where the entire time I'm in a lower intensity, like race walking or something like that. But really, that's not true. Even though sports have these big surges of energy, like in our run the other day, we were at a pretty low intensity the whole time, but there was spots where we were running, pretty much sprinting up hills, and you're going to need to do that at certain points in the race to stay with the pack or or pass someone up. So again, we're going to get into the more complexities of yeah, this this protocol may have some some mechanism of potentiality, some physiological basis that makes it good in theory, but when we actually put it to the test, uh, what kind of results do we get? Yeah, no, well said, and I'll leave the listener with just a couple of thoughts here. Everything that we're talking about today is just to help you make better decisions for you. So you you're better informed. That's all our real goal would be. We're not try, I'm not trying to personally influence you one way or another. I really enjoy taking in more fats right now. It seems to be working well and I'm seeing benefits in my running. So we're going to talk about that in the next episode. And even if you listen to all this and then decide, you know, I'm not going to change a thing. That's great, but uh, I think maybe you have a little bit, you know a little bit more about why you're doing what you're doing, which which I think in itself is very valuable. So hopefully you got um, some new tips today that you can use for yourself, maybe inform yourself to make some better decisions for tomorrow even. And um, when we get back to you on this next episode, we're going to talk mainly about how we're using our program, our running program, what kind of goals we have, how this program is being affected by fats, or at least in my case, how I feel like it's changing my performances. So it'll be more performance-based on that discussion. So I would love to hear from you guys and know what questions you have about what we're talking about any episode, and especially if you have a question for Billy, be sure to email us. And you can also have, uh, you can, of course, like us, subscribe, share all those things that we normally ask you to do. You can do those things too. Um, And of course, if you do have any specific questions for Billy, just put attention, Billy, when you email us. Just go to our website, 
www.pandolatraining.com. Subscribe to our newsletter. Email Aaron if you have any questions. Aaron at pandolatraining.com. We look forward to hearing from you guys. Thanks so much.